Hello, my name is Sheila and I would like to welcome you to my podcast All About You. I love to listen to podcasts and especially conversations with famous people. However, I think everyone has a story to tell. Maybe a place you have visited, a hobby you enjoy or anything that you feel would be of interest. I want to have conversations with lots of different people and hear their stories. So if you have a story to tell, please contact me on my email allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com. Welcome to the All About You podcast. It seems finally the skies are opening up again and people are beginning to travel. So when you take a flight, do you ever pay much attention to the uniform your cabin crew are wearing? And do you think what the cabin crew wear is an important part of the image of an airline? Well, my guest today can throw some light on this. My guest is Duke from the UK, and he is a collector of airline uniforms. Duke, welcome to the All About You podcast. Hello, Sheila. Thank you for having me. Well, I am so excited about this conversation. (laughs) I think my love of flying probably started when I was about 14, I think. And I have to say, I have always paid attention to what the cabin crew wear. I think it's such an important part of an airline's branding because it's something that, you, you know, when you're in an airport terminal, you notice the cabin crew when they walk through. And I think we've all, those of us that have been crew at some time or other, have noticed people staring at us, wondering where we're off to, things like that. And when I've been at, you know, dinner parties, things like that, and people have found out I'm crew, one of the first things people speak to me about, other than, you know, favourite place to go, is the other day we were flying out of Gatwick and we saw Virgin Atlantic's uniform. People, it, it seems to really resonate with people. I think it inspires confidence. When you see a really well turned out crew in smart uniforms, clean uniforms, and they're all immaculately presented, that's the airline I want to get on. I can't stand sloppy uniform standards. Any crew that have ever flown with me will know that I'm a bit of a stickler for things like that. I think that's a very varied point. I mean, I think one of the most iconic uniforms has got to be Virgin Atlantic. And as in the TV advert a few years ago, when you see a group of cabin crew walking through the airport. They've got the red high heels on. They've got the red uniform, the red lipstick. They are groomed to perfection. Everybody's just like, oh, my God, yes. And I think Richard Branson was very, very clever using someone like Vivian Westwood. I mean, she is known as being out there. She does sexy uniforms. She understands the female body very well. I I think that was just piece of resistance. I think that was amazing. It really was. And what I love about Virgin Atlantic when it comes to things like their uniform is they are invested in that colour red. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. And it is such a smart move because red anywhere stands out, but particularly in airline terminal. And when Virgin Atlantic did start back in the 80s, you know, that was sort of the transition period of, you know, stewardesses becoming cabin crew, flight attendants, it becoming more formal. And the sort of the fun of flying was being sucked out. You were getting very conservative, very 
dull coloured uniforms. For example, at the time, Dan Eyre had like an electric blue uniform. And every time I see pictures of it, it reminds me of what Margaret Thatcher wore when she entered number 10. <laughs> and, you know, you're thinking, oh, gosh, you know, some of these cabin crew, they're, they're 20 years old and they're in something that ages them terribly. And then suddenly Virgin Atlantic comes along with these incredible red uniforms that just had not been seen at that, at that time. And they've kept that. And I think their best uniform ever was the Elizabeth Emanuel uniform they got in the early 90s, which when you look at the Vivian Westwood uniform alongside it, they're all they're very similar. You can see where Vivian got her inspiration from. Uh, but that uniform, that was when, you know, they had red high heels then and they had capes for the ground staff and they just looked effortlessly glamorous. And obviously the Emanuels had designed Princess Diana's wedding dress. So a really big name to approach for a uniform. And funnily enough, because of the success of that uniform, the charter airline Britannia Airways went to the Emanuels as well for a uniform. And they ended up with a fantastic uniform that was bright colours again, really stood out, brilliant. I mean, I think we've, we've talked sort of going back in the day with Danair. I mean, Caledonian with the tartan, I thought was just stunning with the white gloves and the oh, little... Beautiful. Oh, amazing. I'm, I'm an easy jet girl between Valencia and London Gatwick. However, <laughs> I have to say, prior to the pandemic, I was really impressed with their latest uniforms. They've got a little scarf. They seem more fitted. The fabric seems a lot kinder. Before, it was almost a boiler suit, one size fits all. It didn't look comfortable. OK, it may have been practical, but it was not flattering to a woman, to a man. And I think it was done on a dime. First started and they had orange polo shirts and jeans. Other airlines, particularly British Airways, places like that, being shocked, borderline appalled that, you know, how on earth can you wear that to work? Because again, until the likes of EasyJet, you had had uniforms designed by big name designers that were beautifully created and fitted. And suddenly there's this airline that's literally coming along to shake up the industry. And they shook it up in every aspect. And I remember seeing the press photos of EasyJet and they had these, or these horrible orange baseball caps on, polo shirts, jeans. And I remember... And I was a child then being horrified, thinking, God, I wouldn't wear that. I wouldn't want to wear that. But as they've become this force to be reckoned with, it's really interesting. You can see by their uniforms, their uniforms almost display how they've evolved into a real serious player now in the industry because they've ditched that. We're making flying fun and we're shaking up the rule book to being a lot of you thought we weren't going to make it. But here we are. You know, they're the biggest airline operating out of Gatwick. Um, I think they even carry more passengers these days than British Airways. Once upon a time, that was a laughable idea, but here they are. And their crew look fantastic. I was travelling through Gatwick recently and saw some of their crew getting off the train station at Gatwick, going into the terminal. And they really looked brilliant. And I thought, I'm just so glad they ditched the, the jeans and the polo shirts. I, I think that's a brilliant story. You've said the evolution of the airline. Obviously, at the beginning, 
they had to get the planes up and running. They couldn't spend that much money. There wasn't that much money in the budget for uniforms. But as things have gone on, and, and I hope EasyJet do well. I mean, I love traveling with EasyJet. You know, I think it's fair. I, I think what you get, okay, it's a short flight for me, two hours. I'm happy to pay for coffee. I'm happy to pay for a muffin, whatever. So we are digressing, which I knew we would do, Duke. Okay, <laughs> getting back on, back on schedule. So you collect airline uniforms. How did that start? Do you know what? It started when I was 13. I think it's when I got my first uniform. I've been collecting airline memorabilia since I was about six. Every time we flew, I was that person that took everything that wasn't screwed down off the aircraft. And I just thought, well, I've got all, you know, these mill trays, these safety cards, and I even had a pair of airline seats. And I thought, I'm, I'm missing the cabin crew uniform, as, as you do at 13. I was on eBay. It was my mother's eBay account. And someone was selling a United Airlines uniform. And I thought, right, you know, that will do. And I bought it. And then the person that was selling it contacted me and said that their job was they cleaned out the crew lockers at Heathrow. And that that's how they'd obtain this uniform. Well, in their time clearing out all these lockers, they'd obtained quite a few airline uniforms and they just wanted to get rid of them. So for an extra, I think it was £50, which when you're 13 years old is an awful lot of money, I could have all these other uniforms. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, why not? Why not? And I can I will never forget the look on my parents face when literally six very large boxes turned up. And my mum was like, you know, what the hell is that? And I went, oh, it's a load of uniforms. And they were airline uniforms from all over the world. Airlines that some of them didn't even exist anymore, like TWA and things, because when I was six, seven years old, that's when I knew I wanted to be cabin crew. I remember very well watching the crew on a JMC flight and just bit. I mean, looking back, JMC had a hideous uniform. I remember thinking how smart everyone looked and how glamorous everyone looked. And so to me, cabin crew have always been a bit of an icon of the industry. And a big factor of that has been their uniforms. And I just suddenly took a real appreciation in how these uniforms were designed. When you started looking at the labels, you suddenly were seeing names like Ralph Lauren, Valentino, you know, big, big name. And then from getting these first few boxes of uniforms, I started to research the designers, the airlines, other uniforms they had. And before you knew it, I had at the top of my collection, I had 600 uniforms. Oh, my God. I know, which I can't believe when I look back. But I had 600 alongside everything else I had at the time. But yeah, 600 uniforms I had. And where did you keep all these, Duke? Um, we had a spare room that was literally full of rails. The biggest fear for anyone collecting anything that is material is moths, that sort of thing. And so they were all in suit bags. And I knew that if I could look, if I could see them every day, there's more chance I'd pick up on anything that wasn't right about them. But my parents have a warehouse. And eventually they all moved up to, to our warehouse where I had an area up there storing all my other airline items. They, they were all there in wardrobes by that point. And I mean, a lot of wardrobes. Oh, my God. So how many have you got in your collection now? Now I've got 
gosh. Last time I counted, there's about 150. That's still an awful lot. I'd say it's an awful lot, yeah. And do you have them all catalogued as in a skirt, a jacket, the blouse, a scarf? I do. Gloves? Everything is catalogued. The size is written down for each item I have. And then who it's come from or where I got it from. Because a lot of these uniforms have been donated to me by cabin crew and ex-cabin crew. And when you're given something like that, I mean, a lot of these crew, rightly so, were very proud to wear these uniforms. And you are taking the biggest visual element of their job and suddenly you're responsible for looking after it. And the number of times I've been given a uniform and that that crew member has sent with it their graduation photo when they first got their wings and they're wearing it. And suddenly it goes from being a uniform to being a piece of history. It's part of someone. And so if I have the paperwork or even the uniform standards manual they've sent with it, that's all catalogued as well. Uh, and the other thing is, is some of these uniforms, they don't just come with a jacket, skirt and blouse and a scarf. They have a hat, they have shoes, they have handbags, they have crew bags, they have suit carriers. So it takes up a lot of space storing a lot of it. But I love it. I mean, it, it, it keeps me out of trouble, I think. <laughs> I mean, I love the way that you are a guardian of something that was so important to somebody's life. With most people who accrue, you don't go into it for the money. You go into it because you've got an interest in aviation or you like working with people or you like traveling, you like flying. You're not generally in it for the money. A lot of people aren't aware of the amount of training crew do to it. It's not just chicken or beef and three days layover in the Caribbean. But you being a guardian of the uniform of these people. And as you say, their graduation photograph. I mean, that is really nice what you're doing. It's it's really lovely. And recently I attended a British Airways long haul crew reunion. And honestly, Sheila, it was the closest thing I think I've ever felt to being famous. Because I've spent the last year, obviously, with the pandemic, people have been using their time in ways they never thought they would. So they've been clearing out attics and garages and sheds. And people were coming to me going, oh, Duke, I've just found my old winter skirt from 1985. Do you want it? Things like that. And suddenly I was in a room face to face with a lot of these people who have followed my posts, have followed my page on Instagram. They sent me things. And all these people were coming up to me going, oh, Duke, 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 I want to speak to you about. And I didn't, in some instances, I didn't know who they were. And I was just praying they had a name badge on. A lot of them were saying to me, though, you know, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. And that was quite a lovely moment, actually, people saying thank you, because I'm, I'm not doing it to, to be a hero. I'm doing it because it's something I'm incredibly passionate about. But as time goes on, and particularly with the last year and a bit, we've all just experienced. I think cabin crew get a bit of a raw deal, because like you've said, a lot of the time the public think it's chicken and beef, tea and coffee, three nights in Barbados, which, yes, that is part of it. But as the 20th anniversary of 9-11 has just proved to all of us, we're capable of so much more and we're trained for so much more. And as time goes on, I mean, when you think cabin crew were originally hired back in the 30s and 40s purely to deal with air sickness and to go around with a flask of coffee. And then in the, like, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, it was sex cell seats and things like that. 
it's only really since the mid 80s did our role get taken seriously by the by the airlines but so much has changed over time i mean the wages have changed like you said no one does this job for the money because i think people would be shocked at what cabin crew earn when you think of the immense responsibility but equally some of these crew flew in a time when in first class you were carving a a roast you know you were carving a joint and they used to carry with them a carving set and you know I've, I've worked with crew and I've met crew who've done royal tours where they've gone all around the world with the queen back in the 70s and the training they had to go through for doing nose flight and I just feel that it is so important to preserve basically the importance of our cabin crew and our pilots because I do feel quite strongly they're quite an undervalued part of the industry. You know, it's, it's long been a bit of a joke that airlines would fly planes empty if they could make money out of it. But I do feel that cabin crew and pilots, they do an incredible job. You know, they get us from A to B safely, comfortably. I just feel that by preserving these people's careers and the hard work they've done, you know, some of these crew have flown for 45 years, you know, they get less for murder given their life to these companies and I just I just find it incredible I find them incredible. So if we talk about the uniforms now so you've cut your collection down now. I have. Are you specialising in one particular airline or are you still collecting different ones? Basically because it was getting to the stage where there was so much and it was so hard to keep on top of everything I mean, I've got a, a friend called Cliff. He lives in Amsterdam. His uniform collection runs into the thousands. He would probably laugh at me saying, oh, I couldn't manage 600 uniforms because he obviously handles so many more. But I couldn't balance it all. And it, it gets to the stage where you do have to compact it slightly because I collect everything else as well for menus, tickets, things like that. So I decided in general just to narrow everything down to British Airways, its predecessors and any airlines that it's absorbed in its history. So Dan Air, British Caledonian, British Midland. The only other uniforms I've got that are not British Airways is I've got a TWA uniform that belonged to a very good friend of mine called Mary Ellen, who she flew for TWA from 1962 till 2004. She was a lovely, lovely lady, and sadly, we lost her last year. And I just could not part with her uniform um, for sentimental reasons. Uh, my own uniforms are in the collection, including uh, I went on to work for Norwegian Airlines. But again, that's sentimental to me. Then I've also got a uh, Virgin Atlantic uniform because they're one of BA's, you know, lifelong rivals, really. And I thought it was important to highlight the difference between the two carriers. And um, I have a Laker Airways uniform as well. Uh, again, Laker's downfall attributed quite largely to British Airways, uh, Pan Am, Lufthansa, other airlines at the time. And I thought, again, that, that highlights another important part of history in the industry too. Yeah, there's British Caledonian, Dan Air, BOAC, BEA, Caledonian Airways. There's quite a few. I mean, that's quite interesting, you just alone, given the list of all the airlines that have been absorbed by BA. It's quite something when you think once upon a time, there were a huge number of independent carriers in the UK. And now 
there are so few compared mm-hmm. to what used to be. You know, you used to go to Gatwick, for example, and you would see BA, Monarch, Caledonian, all these different companies, Britannia and people like that. And now, because the only way a lot of airlines were able to survive after 9-11 was through mergers and acquisitions, and a lot merged and became TUI, for example, Britannia disappeared into that. And it's such a shame. You know, we lost Monarch, who they'd been around forever, and they've, you know, they're gone now. Um, we're, we're quite limited on airlines here, really. Going back to your collection then, do you have a prize piece? Oh, goodness. One thing I am very proud of, and it's arriving on Monday, I've not received it just yet, but it is the door of a jumbo jet. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to say it out loud because even I think it's borderline mad. But, yes, I've got the door of a 747 coming. Well, can I just say I am jealous. <laughs> I am jealous. Where are you going to put it? That's what I want. Are you going to put it in the garden? or? No, it's, it's going into the warehouse. Um, right. Because I've got some old BA first class seats off the classic jumbo and things. And my aim is to make a small like cabin section. And I thought you can't have an aircraft cabin without a door. And I got offered this door and I thought, yes, I, I want a door. That's a fantastic idea. But there's always that hurdle of, you know, at the end of the day, this warehouse space is sometimes limited. And I thought, no, we'll make room for it there's got to be space and then I, I said to my parents I said oh I've just bought a jumbo door and you would expect my parents to be at their wits end about this collection but they were like oh god that's fantastic <laughs> so... well glad that is their reaction I have to say I'm a bit disappointed though Duke it's going to go into the warehouse I think you need to make it to the door to the bathroom or the door to the kitchen I think something <laughs> so epic just being put in the warehouse no but it's I think... only because I'm I'm currently staying with my parents and I'm not sure they would want a jumbo door in their house. Their house is very tasteful. I don't and I I can't see a jumbo jet door fitting into their decor. How fabulous would that be? How fabulous. But, uh, in terms of my favorite favorite piece, I mean it's so hard to choose a single one. But actually, possibly one of my most favorite again it's sentimental. I've got a really lovely friend called Ran. Um, she started her career at BEA, British European Airways. I wouldn't like to guess when she started because I wouldn't like to make her feel any older than she might already feel. But she started in the very glamorous era and had, you know, became British Airways after the takeover. And basically, she gave me her old Globe Trotter suitcase that's been all over the world with her. And it was full of some of her old uniforms. And the uniforms themselves are wonderful. But it, for me, it's this globe trotter because it is covered in stickers of all the old crew hotels. And, you know, it, it's slightly battered. It's got marks on it. But to me, it tells a story of Rand's career. And it is, oh, I, I absolutely love it. And it is so personal to me because I, knew, I know how much it meant to Ran before she gave it to me. It's, it is wonderful because I do sometimes sit and just stare at all these different labels. And it's quite funny, some of the hotels on there, you know, they're, they're labels from the 70s, but were still crew hotels when I started flying. And it's just, 
I don't know, something quite nice knowing that at some point her and I have been in the same place, albeit years apart. Wow, what a lovely connection between the two of you. That's a really nice story. So, Duke, you've got an airline door arriving on Monday. Is there a piece of something you would like to own that's being a bit elusive? Because you never know who's going to listen to this podcast. You never know. God, I could really reel off a list, if I'm honest. But I would absolutely love... So I've, I've got part of the BOAC 1966 uniform. And to me, it's the most iconic. It's just beautiful. And I'm missing the hat and the jacket for it. I would love to find, even if it was just the hat, it is such a lovely, lovely uniform. And it, it's nice as it is. I've got the skirt and the blouse and the, the coat for it. But it needs, it really needs the hat in order to display it properly. So that would be a big thing. Or a jumbo jet, if anyone's got one to spare. <laughs> Preferably with some land. You know, I'm not asking for too much. Well, I mean, you do hear. I mean, people have turned train carriages into restaurants. And I did hear during the pandemic, I can't remember which it was, whether it was in the Far East or something, one of the airlines was literally configured the aircraft into a restaurant and was serving airline food on board. And you could book to go and have lunch or dinner on the aircraft. You were served in your seat in an airline setting. I think it was like a first class thing. I, I, I get that and I would pay for that. Oh, I, I get it. People I mean, would think I'm mad, but I, I would do that. Absolutely. Oh, no, I, with some Thai Airways and Singapore Airlines. Yeah, it. that's and it. I thought yeah. it was a fantastic idea because yeah. it's suddenly giving work to a lot of people who've been out of work for a while. You know, the crew, the caterers, people like that. And there's a, a chap in um, Los Angeles who he has built a replica Pan Am first class cabin, clipper class cabin upper deck lounge and all of this and you basically book a ticket to go on a flight back in time and they have authentic menus all the china everything is authentic and the girls serving the meals are wearing the old uniforms and depending on which cabin you book it's the kind of meal experience you get but you know they play films from the period and it's just wonderful it's pure escapism oh i would so pay to do that i so would oh i would i absolutely would got several items on your list yes where do you get stuff from I mean you've said people donate it to you once I guess people know what you do most of it has come in the last year and a half I'd say has come through donations there's a Facebook page called Crew Social and it is purely for ex and current British Airways crew and anyone who has worked for an airline that became British Airways I was posting bits of my collection on there and suddenly people were coming to me going, oh, I've just found my old first class manual from 1983. Would you like it? And it started off this trend where though at one point every other day I was receiving a box full of items, which was just wonderful. But when it's not donations, it's things like collectors fairs, the Internet um, and then just friends and relatives flying as passengers. And it's funny, they say to me, was there anything you're missing? And it's ridiculous because sometimes I'm saying to them, oh, yeah, do you know what? I'm missing a tray liner for economy. I mean, I say it out loud and I realise how geeky it sounds. But when you're trying to preserve every aspect of a company, 
and its history and its branding, there's an awful lot of minute detail that has to be taken care of. And it, it is sad. I mean, my, my father has come to collect his fares with me and he's seen me get really excited about a napkin because I've been like, oh, my God, I've got everything for that place setting from 1965. I'm missing the napkin. I've been looking for it for 10 years or whatever. That's what my life has become. <laughs> so your family presumably are quite accepting of this. You know, you've grown up loving aviation. You've worked for airlines. Luckily, your family have got a warehouse, so that's quite handy. Very. What about your friends, though, friends that are not connected with the airline industry? Do they think you're bonkers? or? Um, some of them do. I mean, because I'm the same way. I love anyone with a passion, whether it is for, I don't know, collecting thimbles or whatever. I find people who have a passion and a hobby fascinating, and I can really appreciate their joy and their excitement. Some of my friends think I'm absolutely bonkers and don't get it at all. That's fine. But a lot on the whole are incredibly supportive and are constantly amazed at what I've managed to find. And, you know, my, my family as well are very, very supportive. I mean, at one point, one of my relatives was flying internationally quite a lot as a passenger. And he would bring me back stacks of Club World menus and wash bags and and he'd have asked the crew for things. And I mean, I was flying at the time myself. But yeah, they're, they're, on the whole, everyone's very supportive. And, you know, my, my father especially, because when I was little, he used to take me up to Heathrow, where they had Queen's Building. And you could stand on the roof of Queen's Building and watch the plane, which as a seven, eight-year-old was just hog's heaven. I loved it. And he was always, he knew I wanted to fly. He knew I wanted to be cabin crew. And he tells quite a funny story, actually. And I can remember, I can remember it. We had spent the day, you know, we'd gone up by train to Heathrow to watch the planes. I must have been about nine years old. And we'd gone into the term, into Terminal 3 for lunch. And on the table next to us was an Air New Zealand crew. And I don't know if they had just arrived or if they were going, but I could not take my eyes off them. To me, they were just gods. And my dad says, I just remember you being in awe of these people. And he said, you couldn't touch your food. He said, because you were just, dad, dad, look, there's cabin crew there and there's pilots. And they got up and they swung. And at the time, the girls had a really lovely uniform. They had like a bowler hat and like teal green blazers. And one of they wore their scarves down their shoulders. And they, the girls just looked so glamorous. And the guys had these wonderful suits with waistcoats. They looked very sharp. And I just remember staring at them and thinking, oh, that's going to be me one day going off somewhere exotic and lovely. Oh, that's a lovely story. Yeah. What are your plans for the collection in the future? Are you just going to keep going and going and going? I am going to keep going and going and going because there's so much more to get hold of. And there's so much more that I want to personally add to the collection, you know, other uniforms and all sorts. What I would love to do is open a museum one day. British Airways has a, a heritage centre at their head office. Very good, very comprehensive and lovely. But is that open to the public? It, it is in normal times. In Covid times, it's closed. Right. But the thing is, is because it's in the head office, it's very corporate. Right, OK. Whereas I would like to do something that was a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more involved people coming to have a look for example I would like people to be able to come and pick things up and look at them 
perhaps not the glass and china wear, but certainly things like the old brochures and you know, in-flight magazines, that sort of thing. And equally, I'd love to just have a section where there's you know, all the uniforms on display, but then have a little box of spare bits of uniform for people to bung on and take pictures and just give people that chance to maybe relive some memories or that dream they always had to be crew that they never followed or whatever. I just want it to be really immersive and really entertaining. My mind is just racing at 100 miles per hour. <laughs> I would so come to somewhere like that because I imagine you would say this is the uniform and there would be the picture of the, the person who owned it, the story. Maybe they've handwritten a story. You can read their, their information. That is a you've got to do it. You have got to do it. Well, if, if you if any of your listeners out there have an awful lot of money, they, they don't really need so I'll give you my email address so they can get in touch. Well, I, I must admit, I believe in the power of if you put the question out there or put the ask out there, you don't know what's going to happen. So we are, you know, you've got a bit of a wish list of things that you'd <laughs> like to collect. The, the airline door is arriving on Monday, which I think is we just need the rest of the aircraft. Yeah, but, you know, we've made a start. A few thousand other parts. But, I mean, I never thought I'd own a jumbo jet door. So it's so true what you say. If you put it out there. Absolutely. It, it, it does come to you and it will happen. I'm a great believer in that. And, I mean, some of the other items I've got, like I've got menus and manuals for the Queen's flight and menus that were used by the Queen and Prince Philip again never thought I'd own those and it does happen so I'm, I'm determined to make the museum idea work out definitely but and I, I can just envisage it now you know as you say <laughs> the individual stories of people who owned the uniforms and and the crockery the glassware as you say the menus absolutely brilliant one thing I want to talk to you about, Jute, yes. before we finish. The reason I got in contact with you is on social media, you did a post about a BOAC-themed dinner party. And I saw that. I read the information. I thought, oh, my God, I have got to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> so let's talk about the BOAC-themed dinner party. Uh, last year, it was a post that I saw on Facebook but it was saying oh on this date it is the anniversary of the founding of BOAC and if they had still been around I think they were going to be 84 years old and they the guy who posted this said so I'm officially declaring that this date is international BOAC day and he just said wouldn't it be great if people did BOAC themed things that day and it just sparked something in my head. I thought, well, I've got an old BOAC first class trolley and I've got a load of the old china and cutlery and the glassware and the menus and, you know, a uniform and all of this. And I thought, Do you know what, I'm going to throw a BOAC themed dinner party for my parents because I just thought they would appreciate it an awful lot. And I thought I'm even going to cook, <laughs> which sort of scared me slightly because I've never thought I was a good cook but you know you, you do what you can and so I started going through all my old BOAC menus bearing in mind I've got menus going from the 40s up to the 70s and I started to notice these reoccurring dishes side dishes and things like that and canapes 
So I scanned an old one of my favorite menu covers that is a gra- like it's a beautiful graphic print of two two gentlemen and a lady having drinks on a balcony overlooking New York. And it is such a wonderful picture. And in fact, it's my first ever BOAC item I had in my collection. So I scanned the cover of that and then I scanned the inside of the menu, but removed all the food options and then typed out my menu and printed out the menus on card for, for my parents. To make it really authentic, I printed them out boarding passes. So I scanned the old handwritten, you know, 1965 boarding passes, filled in their details, handed them to them a week in advance and said, don't forget, next week you're off to New York first class BOAC. And they were out for the day. So I, I set up our living room as a departure lounge. So I put up some old BOAC signage, um, some old brochures and things on the coffee table and left them with a, a ice bucket with a bottle of champagne in it because I thought, get them off to a good start. And I've got an old BOAC flag that used to fly above Terminal 3 at Heathrow. And I pinned that up. They got their boarding call. And I wore, I, I haven't got a male BOAC uniform. So I had to improvise. So I wore a blazer and a bow tie and BOAC wings and all of that. And then on a mannequin, I had the girls uniform. And basically they came in and I set up, because, you know, back then you didn't have in-flight entertainment on an aircraft. The, the service was the entertainment. And, you know, meals could go on for hours you know there was so much offered especially in first class so I did I got you know I did all canapes and a caviar service you know with chilled vodka and champagne and all the you know the the little bits of um that go along with it all the ancillary items then you know starters a soup course salad course there was their main course there was dessert there was cheese chocolates and liqueurs and it was fantastic and because I was using all the silverware on the trolley, all the linen, all the serving equipment was authentic. It was either BOAC or British Airways, um, because I had to improvise in some areas. But all the china my parents had was all authentic first class BOAC china and glassware. At the end of it, because I'm literally wheeling this, <laughs> wheeling this trolley into the kitchen, <laughs> serving it up. I've got the service manuals for that era. So in that morning, I had sat there and taken myself through a crash course in the BOAC Monarch service. In the BOAC Monarch flight, it was um, a flight to and from New York where the whole aircraft was first class. I mean, it was the epitome of luxury and glamour, this service. And so I went through the manual of how they did it and how they served everything and, you know, what went where on the plate and things like that, just to make it really authentic. And um, I spoke to a few ex-BOAC trainers as well to say to them, can I just ask, how would you put this on the trolley? Or, you know, what would be the best way to serve this? And, you know, they were wonderful. They came back to me and going, for Christ's sake, don't forget doilies. They loved a doily at BOAC. And so I did, you know, trying to find doilies in the middle of a global pandemic. One of the most stressful things ever. But I found, and I now have a good supply of about 300 paper doilies because I couldn't get them in a small quantity. I had to literally go to a caterer and bulk buy them. And yeah, I did. And at the end of it, my parents said to me, they went, that was incredible. 
you could charge to do this, which made me think of that guy in the US who does the Pan Am flights. And I just thought it's something I would love to do because I had so much fun doing it and putting it together. And I could see that they were in, they were enjoying it. And I mean, my father's vegetarian. And, you know, back in the 60s, I don't know, maybe vegetarians didn't fly, but the menus didn't really cater to vegetarians. So I had to, you know, improvise in places. But it was just so much fun to do. And then I took, obviously, I took pictures of it all, put it on social media. And I got a lot of crew coming back to me who flew in that period going, oh, my God, that takes me back. Or, you know, you've done that spot on or how on earth did you find all of this? Why on earth did you do this? Things like that. Yeah, it, it appealed to my one of my I don't know if it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. My attention to detail is something I'm very passionate about. I will pick up on the smallest thing if it's wrong. Equally, if it's spot on, I'll pick up on it and be like, brilliant, well done. So it really appealed to me. All that effort that the airlines used to go to to give their passengers an experience. You know, you you were saying earlier on about being a fan of EasyJet and what EasyJet does is fantastic. But of course, there's no real intense training to serving a box of Pringles or a bacon sandwich. There's only one way really to do that. Whereas back then, you know, you had to learn how to correctly serve caviar and with mother of pearl spoons and all of that. I mean, there was so much to it. And it's a period of flying we're very unlikely to really see again, unless perhaps you're flying on a corporate aircraft, which, you know, if you're lucky enough to do that, you might see glimpses of that world. But it was, I love doing it and I can't wait to do it again. And actually, I've just been on holiday in Cornwall and two of our friends said, we really want to come to yours for that VOAC dinner. And I was like, we'll do it. But they were so funny because they said, well, we want to be sat in first class, but we want your parents to sit in economy. And I've got some British Caledonian economy class seats. So I said to my mum and dad, I went, how about it? You've done first class. You can be in the economy seats. Matthew and Sally, our friends, they can be in the first class seats and have what you had last time, you know, just sort of mix it up a bit. I can just see the bones of a new business starting here. You've got the airline door arriving on Monday. You need the rest of the aircraft and then you can do theme dinners, theme parties, your attention to detail, which, you know, to you, I should imagine, gives you as much pleasure doing the research as it does actually carrying out that experience. I, I, th- I think you're, you're, you know, you're definitely getting the bones of your your uh, entrepreneurial spirit going, definitely. I hope so. I mean, the one thing I would do differently is I would have someone to serve it with me. Because, of course, when you're on an aircraft, you're a team in the cabin. So there is someone in the galley getting everything organised whilst you're out in the cabin perhaps doing drinks. When you come back with your trolley, the next bit set up, ready to go. That was where it got a bit stressful that I was literally running backwards and forwards, trying to restock items, get the next bit ready. And of course, I'm cooking it as well. Unfortunately, no caterer available. So I loved it. I got such a thrill out of doing it, seeing my parents really enjoy it as well and then them saying afterwards you you should do something with this and it is it's it's definitely something I would love to do I'd love, if I could get hold of say the first class section of a jumbo and the upper deck because then what I would do is I would do the dinner service downstairs but then the upper deck 
as a lounge I would do you know all the cocktails and canapes up there then they can come down for dinner I just think would be wonderful I mean you just think you know people could do that wedding anniversary a wedding party a special birthday yeah you need to I mean I'm sure on eBay you can find the front section of a 747 or an A380. was It's got to be because that is just such a brilliant idea. A while ago, afternoon tea was like, oh, everyone's got to do afternoon tea. Now it's getting a bit passe. We need something more than the afternoon tea experience. And I, I think people say, love a bit of a gimmick. They love an immersive experience. I mean, there was a time, wasn't there, where receiving afternoon tea in a box was the new big thing and it was lovely you're still receiving it in a box and having to plate it up yourself and things like that and because for the vast majority of us our experience of flying is economy is a low-cost carrier is perhaps even if we have flown you know business or first it hasn't been an experience we were expecting I just think it could be a real escape for people and I think especially at the moment that's what we all need is an escape from what's really going on to almost travel back in time to when things were I'm not saying that things aren't exciting now but back in the 60s you know it was a real it was a huge monumental moment in terms of society and things and a lot of people you know I hear my friends go oh god I wish I'd been alive back then all these people that go to Goodwood all dressed up and things like that I mean people love things like that so why not make it an experience where people can at least for an evening go back to the 60s and have a great time I mean you've read my mind there because I was going to say to you I've been lucky enough to go to Goodwood Revival a couple of times and as well as being dressed up in the day with a little hat and the gloves and the dress and everything it's sourcing those ideas you know it's looking on Pinterest it's looking back on the internet and thinking right I want a pair of gloves and a pair of shoes and the stockings and all this, that and the other. It's the whole thing. It's for for like one of your passengers. If you're going to do that, okay, what am I going to wear? Maybe I'm going to go to a charity shop and try and find a little, you know, a vanity Mm. case because ladies would travel with their vanity cases. This is where it's all gone wrong, Duke. When the men stopped wearing hats and the ladies stopped wearing gloves, that's when it all went wrong. I'll never forget working in first class once I had you know I was quite new to working in first and just having these visions of these very glamorous suiting booted people getting on and a lady got on wearing a juicy couture tracksuit and I just thought yeah I don't care if it's comfortable (laughs) to me I I still now whether I'm flying long or short haul economy business whatever cabin I'm flying in I'll still dress up for it because to me it's still an experience and I think we've lost that in general we've lost that making an effort you know taking some pride in ourselves sometimes and I mean I've been guilty of that as well I won't you know but I do think we are missing that but on the Goodwood front a really lovely friend of mine Polly Rogers in the past she's worn some of my BA uniforms to Goodwood when she's been and um, that's quite nice because it's not just the uniform, you also get the bag with it and all the other bits. So, you know, that, that's quite nice when I've seen photos of her at that in my uniforms and things, giving them almost another life. Oh, 
Well, Duke, this has been a fabulous conversation. We've we've reminisced about the past, going back to Danair and Laker. We've talked about the collection view sourcing it, the flag off the top of the Queen's building, a trolley. I have no idea how you got those. The airline door arriving on Monday, all their stories of the uniforms you've got and their graduation photograph and that type of thing. I think it's just an absolutely brilliant idea. I think it's fantastic what you're doing. I think this is just the start. I absolutely love doing it. And having this last year off has given me such an opportunity to curate everything, to take stock of what I've got and to really decide what direction I want to take with it all. In a way, it's been a bit of a blessing being able to have that time. And yeah, who knows what the next step is, but I'm excited for it. Well, let's hope somebody's listening who has got a passion for the airline industry that you have got and also got a lot of money. <laughs> let's hope so. That, that's what we're hoping to find. Duke, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest on the All About You podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Oh, thanks, Duke. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget, if you have a story you would like to tell, please get in touch. My email address is allaboutyoupodcast at yahoo.com and thank you for listening.